the 42nd chapter. This is what it says. It says, as a deer longs for the flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come home and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, and while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walk with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him. Somebody say, I will praise him, because he's my savior. And he's my God. Lord, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you for the powerful relevance in our lives. And thank you that they are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That when we don't know where to head, we can look to your scriptures and give us guidance. And Lord, I just pray that you will bless those under the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would take this word and make it to bear in their hearts that they may be encouraged and know you and the power of the holy scriptures and ultimately the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, why don't you say amen? Amen. Thanks so much, Jay. In 1963, songwriters Eddie Pola and George Weil collaborated together to write a song that they hoped would capture the essence of the holiday season. This song was written for the Andy Williams show. I know none of us even know what that is. But the goal was to capture all of the sentiments and the Yuletide festivities that happened during this season. But little did they know as they were penning this song that it would become a timeless hit that would be sang for nearly 40 years as well as charting the billboard charts some 60 years later. And that iconic tune in which many of you are familiar is the, is the song, the, the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Although there are a bunch of renditions and artists have remade these multiple times, the 1960s rendition is the most popular. And this song, if we're honest, captures the essence of what many of us hope to experience during this holiday season. Many of us are so excited for the holidays because we're going to sit fireside. We're going to allow the warm glow of the sun to radiate off of our skin. We're going to sip cocoa and decorate, decorate cookies, and maybe you might light a candle for Advent. If you're like me, you're going to watch Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, Die Hard, and The Christmas Story. Not in that order, but you're going to do that. Maybe that's you, like, and all the Yuletide festivities, many of us are excited for that, but there's another group of people that are in the building who, who, who are not necessarily looking forward to the holidays because it doesn't bring glee, it brings a bit of gloom because it's become stressful and lonely. There are findings that say that there is more stress between Thanksgiving and Christmas or Thanksgiving and the New Year than any other time of the year. The American Psychiatric Society took a survey and 38, 30% or 38% of the participants say they are more stressed now than they have ever been. And some of it is because of gift giving. Let me just tell you, you don't have to give a gift if you don't have it to a grown person. They be all right. No? Okay. Okay. Just trying it out. Just figure it, figure it out. Some of it, some of it is the, the, the holiday season. Some of it is because of the hectic schedule and the budget that we have. But during this season, some of us will experience something called the holiday blues. And it's very difficult for us to shake it. 
And so some of it is because of the holiday rush. We would agree with that. Some of it is because of the stress of gift giving and the packed jam-packed schedules where you have to go to a multiplicity of families, houses, and make sure that you play that game to keep everybody happy. But many of us are saddened this season because toward the end of the year, that's when a lot of us get really, really reflective. We start thinking about what happened in 2023. And how we thought that 2023 was going to start off one way, but it ended up ending another way. So we wish, if we're honest, that we had a time machine and we could go back to January because we would undo some things and we would unsay some things that we've communicated not out of love, but out of anger. We would have gone back and tried to repair some of those broken relationships. We would have apologized and said we were sorry. We would have cherished the moments with that loved one before they transitioned from this life into the next. Many of us are getting reflective right now, but let's just be honest. You don't need me to show you any psychological studies, do you? Because you know how the holidays feel firsthand. For many of you, it's going to hit different this year because you don't have your dad around the table. You loved him and you loved his little corny jokes and those same stories he would tell about your childhood, but he's not going to be at the table this year. Maybe some of you are upset because mom is not there. You're not, you're not having some of those famous dishes and her talking about your childhood and talking about your parenting. Or maybe it's hitting a little different this year because you're not seeing Pop-Pop and Nana and you miss them. So it hits different because many of us have the weight of grief and are experiencing the weight of loss. And you were hoping that you were going to have a, fi- a fiance this year. You were hoping that you're going to take them to Christmas and let your family grill them and talk, and talk to him and see if he was right, right fit for you. But what ended up happening is you broke up. And even though you broke up for a good reason, it still doesn't erase the heartbreak and the pain that's associated with it. And so, and so let me just say this. If, if, if you anticipate having a great, great holiday, let me just say, I am so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. I hope that you experience joy unparalleled. I pray that you are able to smile and to share stories. I pray you're able to overlook offenses and that you cherish every moment with those people in front of you. Because here's the thing, life is fragile. And we have the propensity at times to take life for granted because we think we're owed our lives looking a particular type of way all the time. But there is something that happens in life where you can be on the mountaintop one minute and in the valley the next minute. So I'm encouraging you, instead of touching your phone a multiplicity of times and trying to catch everything on video, if you expect to have a wonderful holiday season, be present with the people in front of you. Be present with them. Make the most of the time. Savor the time with your loved ones, with your families and friends like you would the last piece of dessert on Christmas. Enjoy it. But I have a feeling that For some of you, it's going to be a mixed bag because although you really want to celebrate the holidays and you're looking gleefully to it, you know that it's an intensifier of your loneliness and your pain. And so what I like to do is I want to talk to those people today. And I don't want to give you quick solutions and easy answers on how to deal or shake the holiday blues. But when you experience the holiday blues, I want you to ask yourself these three questions that I'm going to preach through in this sermon. And each of these questions is intended to help you navigate through the complex emotion so that you can make it through the holiday season season, season, and be emotionally healthy on the other side. Does that make sense? I want you to have 
the most healthy and emotionally whole holiday you can have. And it's not through a list of to-dos and things you check off, but it happens often through asking yourself some intent questions. Does that make sense? So I'm going to preach through Psalm 42, but before I do that, can I give you some more context about the book that we're going to preach about? Is that all right? Because I think it's going to make it a little bit more robust. Um, Today's passage is nestled in a book that we call the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of 150 ancient poems, songs, and prayers from different portions of Israel's history. From the time of Moses all the way down to post-exile. It's different types of psalms. There are psalms of lament that express sadness. There are royal psalms that would have been done or performed in the sight of dignitaries. There are psalms of thanksgiving that communicate gratitude. There are songs of wisdom that provide prudence and a host of other different types. There are psalms written by well-known kings and biblical figures as well as well-known poets. And each of these songs are communicated with deep emotion and anguish. Each of them communicate pain and remorse or maybe joy and thanksgiving. And so when the authors of psalms were writing these psalms, they were originally collected as a means of singing them, of singing them in the chorus. So the choir would sing these songs. But once the children of Israel went into something called Babylonian captivity. They were intentionally organized in its current form. So the current form of the Psalms that we have, the 150, were not how it was originally intended to be collected. It happened after Israel left out of captivity because of their unwillingness to repent for allowing the land to rest for 70 years so that it can be refreshed. All right, I'm going to bring here, here we go. So the original, so after Exile, however, they were all collected. And if you know anything about the Psalms, you know that they were, they were divided into five books. They were divided into five books, and we know that because each of these sections ends with this verse, may the Lord God of Israel bless you forever. So the first 49 Psalms, the first 149 Psalms are, were put together, and then outside of that, there was Psalm 1, which is like an introduction to the Psalms. And in Psalm 1, in verse 2, it says, blessed are those who delight in the Lord's instruction. The word instruction there is the word Torah. And it can mean teaching or communication, but I think it's a double entendre because not only is it referring to the teaching in this book, it's referring to the teachings in the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you're wondering what the Torah is, it is essential in the history of Israel because it was how they lived in a way that was aligned with God's will. So, so in the Torah, you had the creation narrative, you had the flood, you had the life of the patriarchs, you had the moral codes and a myriad of other things. So the first five books are intentionally organized not only to teach us something, but to be a new Torah. This new Torah is guiding people in the lifelong practice of prayer and devotion to God. So it has five divisions. Book one corresponds to the blessing of the fall and redemption, the themes of Genesis. Book two mirrors the narrative of Exodus. Book three uh, talks about the topics of God's tabernacle, which corresponds to Leviticus. Book four talks about Israel's interaction with other nations. Book five encapsulates the themes of God's words found in Deuteronomy. Are y'all with me so far? 
Psalm 42, therefore, is the start of a new section. And the experience, the personal experience of the writer mirrors the misery that the children of Israel would have went through during the time of the Exodus. So that's why this book has such, or this verse has such an ominous tone, because not only is it teaching us to engage our hard emotions, but it's also mirroring the experience of the children of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Does that make sense? Does it make sense to shake your head or say it doesn't? Okay, just had to scan the room there, right? And so I like Psalm 42 because it is unsanitized. Some people say that this, this particular verse is one of the most bare-knuckle and ominous verses in all the Bible. John Mark Homer, a theologian, says it is raw and honest. But what you need to know is that this verse or this chapter doesn't start in verse 1. It starts in the subscript. The subscript is where we get most of the content we learn about this. And this is what we learn in the subscript. We learn that it's a mesquil of the sons of Korah. Now, who are the sons of Korah? The sons of Korah were like the worship pastors of the day. So they would get up and sing songs in the temple. And a mesquil was a song that was written so that people can be instructed. And so what I hope to do today as we navigate through this, that this psalm will instruct or encourage many of us, okay? Y'all with me? All right, so join me in verse 3. This is what it says. It says, my tears have been my food day and night. Somebody say day and night. And while they say to me, where is your God? Now, I know that that sounds poetic, but what I believe is happening is this is an artistic description of the emotional and physical distress that this young man is experiencing. Like, I don't know about you, but I've had a bad day before, right? Anybody had a bad day before? And you know what you can do when you have a bad day? Just start, hit the reset button, go home and take a nap. That's what I do most bad days. But this is not, get this, this is not a bad day. This is a bad Proceed uh, uh, a prolonged uh, period of his life where his soul has been engulfed in darkness. You ever been there before? Where you were just sad for no reason? You just shed tears for no reason? That's kind of what he's experiencing. He said that it's so bad that he's not even eating. That means that his nutri he has nutritional deficiency. That means that his energy is depleted and that his blood sugar is fluctuating back and forth. But on top of that, not only is he having some physiological ramifications of this, but he's also experiencing something emotionally because his detractors are mocking his faith. They're kicking him while he's down. Anybody ever been kicked by someone while you're down? You're having the worst day of your life, and then they say something to drive you deeper into the ground. This is what they say. They say, hey, where is your God? Where's that sky dad you've been praying to? Yeah, yeah. Where, where's that God that you take that takes up most of your Sunday morning that's been given, you've been giving your money towards and all that? Where's he at right now? What they're trying to do is they're mocking his past faith by presenting his present circumstance. He's saying that your present circumstances are indicative that God is not with you. Because you're going through this painful stretch in your life, it means that you are not beloved by God. But let me just tell you, that is not true at all. Because sometimes God will allow you to go through a pain of one season because he's trying to prepare you for the abundance of another season. He will allow you to experience pain because pain is a teacher 
and a professor that can give you a lesson more skillful than any other experience possible. So don't believe that just because you're experiencing pain in this season, God is not with you. Sometimes your pain is affirmation that God is with you. Because anytime you try to do anything daring for God, you are always going to experience demonic opposition. The devil is not happy that you started praying more. He's not happy that you have your hands lifted in worship. He's not happy that you're listening to Spotify and YouTube and listening to worship music in the morning instead of Sexy Red. That was good. He's not happy. So when that type of stuff happens, friends, you can't expect that your life is all going to be roses and flowers. The devil will do anything to buffet you and to hurt you, and including using the people around you to discourage you. And that's what's happening. The people around him are discouraging him and trying to let him know that God doesn't trust you. God doesn't love you. But friends, let me just, let me just tell you this. Let me just tell you this. Many of you are not going to forget to eat this holiday season. Can we just be honest? You're not going to forget to eat this holiday season. I don't care how bad it gets, you're going to get a piece of pecan pie. I don't care how awful and tenuous the season is, you're going to eat some sweet potato pie with a scoop of ice cream on it. It's going to happen. Or pumpkin pie. I've never had pumpkin pie. I heard it's delicious. Is it delicious? We're not going to do that, but here's the thing. Some of us, however, will overeat this holiday season to compensate for the stress that we experience. We don't want to talk about that. Okay, that's cool. So I have another one. We're going to sedate ourselves with that endless scrolling where you can't put the phone down. We're going to anesthetize ourselves with busyness, jumping from house to house and doing all these different things. You know why? We don't have healthy coping mechanisms to deal with the stress that we have in our lives. So we end up taking on mechanisms that don't promote our spiritual health, but actually tank our spiritual health long term. And I think what I love about what this man is doing in this verse is that he's sharing his emotions and he's not bottling his feelings. Here's the first question that I want to ask you and that you can ask yourself reflectively this holiday season. Am I being candid with someone about my emotions? Am I being candid? Is there someone that you can talk to about how you're feeling, the pain and distress that you're experiencing today? Look, look at this. Look at it. This is, this is what happened to me. A few days ago, or a few weeks ago, I called uh, my father in the faith, Pastor Leon Crump. Uh, and you ever call somebody and you don't wait for emotional consent? You just spill all your little feelings on them? You don't give them a warning? You don't send them a text message, right? I did that the other day to him and my buddy. It was my dad's. You know, my dad passed away last year, so I called my friend Charlie Mitchell. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? I was like, not good. Uh, I got a good cry in, then wiped my face and went on with my business. Sometimes you have to do that, right? So I called Pastor Leon, and I was telling him about some tough things going on, and we began to share some stories about a mutual friend and a pastor that if I mentioned his name, you probably would know who he was. He was a very, very influential one, and he was going to provide leadership and oversight for this church. I couldn't wait to introduce him to you. We was gonna, he was going to preach and teach and teach us all these things about self-awareness and self-reflection. But right before the pandemic, he took his life. It was national news. It's national news. Pastor Leon, who was much closer than him to him than I was, 
said that, hey, he was going through some complex emotions. And despite his closeness, he was unable to know the full extent of the pain that he was experiencing in that season. And friends, we just sat on the phone in a minute and just being somber. And then he said this to me. He said, Earn, whether it's me or whether it's several people, make sure that someone can emotionally locate you at all times. And I'm just going to tell the same thing that he told me about my spiritual and my emotional well-being. I want to pass along to you. Make sure that it's someone in your life that you can be transparent with and that you can be honest with about the struggle you're experiencing. Make sure that it's somebody that can help navigate you through the dark clouds of depression and pain that comes along with the holiday season. Make sure it's somebody in your life that with whom you can be vulnerable and honest about how you're. Make sure you have somebody that you can call on the phone and say, today's not a good day. Today I have cried more tears than I've ever cried in my life. And I need your help. Make sure you have somebody like that in your life. And in verse 4, he says this. He says, I remember this as I poured out my heart, how I walked with many leading the festival to the house of God with joyful shouts. Now, I'm like many theologians. I believe that the ancient king, the second king of Israel, David, wrote this passage. And he wrote this during a very, very tumultuous time in his life. He had a very, very handsome son named Absalom. Absalom was handsome, he was charismatic, and what he was doing was sowing discord with other people in Israel, with the men in Israel. And he was presenting himself or billing himself as an alternative to the aging king. So as Absalom's influence grew, what he began to do was he staged a rebellion. Once he staged that rebellion, many of David's advisors followed after Absalom, and David was forced to flee the kingdom or flee the palace, and he was living in caves. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were living in a cave, what would you be thinking about? If you were jumping from cave to cave, you would probably be thinking about safety, would you not? You'd be thinking about relief. You'd be thinking about getting some freedom from your oppressor. That's not what David does here. He says he's nostalgically looking to a time where he was worshiping in God's temple. So in the middle of the most tumultuous season of his life, he's thinking about church. He's thinking about singing songs and the procession of the saints that would walk in. Here's what I want you to know, that when you come to church, it's not a religious requirement exclusively. It's also a means of lifting up and encouraging you during emotionally tough seasons. When you sing those songs and when you worship God, whether you're far from him or not, what you're doing is your, God is using those songs and that celebratory, those celebratory praises as a means of shaking off that spirit of depression that may have attached to you so that you can have a garment of praise, so that you can stop thinking about all the things that are wrong and think about the great things that God is doing right in your life. Last time I checked, you had a little bit of money in your bank account, clothes on your back, food on your table, a house to live in, a little, bit of dis- a little bit of income, and God has been better to you than any of us can imagine. But when you're going through a rocky season, it's easy to forget. So he says, I think about the time when I was in the temple. But that's not it. Then in verse 1, he says, as the deer 
pants for the water. So my soul longs for you so that I can come and appear before God. Now, you know what? When we think about this verse, we think about that real sweet song, as the deer panteth for the water. You're like, oh, that's great. I'm thinking about that little brown doe, you know, because I like National Geographic. Anybody watch National Geographic? I'm thinking about a little, a nice little deer, you know, picking her head and dipping it into the crystal clear waters. And then the butterfly is flying around and landing on her nose. That's what I'm thinking about, right? That ain't what this verse is about. I know we have this sanitized view of this, but this word pant here is some, it's only used one time, and it's used in the book of Joel. And it's used to convey the desperation that a doe has to find water, but the riverbeds have been dried up because there was a drought. It, it, this, is, this is violent language. He's saying that I want you, God, like a thirsty animal, a staggering thirsty animal wants the waterbed that is not there. And I love that he calls them the living water. Because a lot of times we, instead of going to the living water, who is God, go to the stagnant water that often poison us and take away our appetite from him. Like, like the, the, the living water gives you refreshment and nourishment that points you to your flaws and points you to your mistakes, but then welcomes you into the grace. The, 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 the stagnant waters make you feel good temporarily. When you answer that text message or you spend that money, everything is good when you spend that money until you get that credit card bill. You're like, who spent this money? It's you. You spent the money. Everything is good when you look for that momentary moment where you get some relief, but ultimately, instead of getting relief, you end up living with regret. And so let me get this right. Let me, let me just get this right. Let me get this right. Let me get this right. Just, just so I can ask. So here's the question. Here's the question on the table. Are the blues that I'm experiencing the result of the season or my lack of appetite for God? Are, is, are they, are they, are they, what are they? Now, now, I don't know about you, but I've been working out recently. And let me just say, I could be in much better shape. Like, I really could. I should be cut up like a cheesesteak right now. But I'm not. And here's why. I enjoy junk food. Amen, somebody. Between me, Miss Brenda, and Mother Odessa, we eat all the candy in the back. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. And listen, it like it's nothing wrong from time to time getting some good, some good junk food. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it just touches your soul sometimes. Sometimes you just need to stop by Popeyes. It just be some of them days where you like prayer is good, but prayer and Popeyes is better. With Louisiana hot sauce, with a little bit of grape jelly on my biscuit, so it doesn't choke me going down. I mean, sometimes, just sometimes. But here's the problem, and y'all know this already, but the problem with junk food, number one, if you do it too much, it can become costly. And if you eat it too much, it can, de it can be detrimental to your physical health. You can be like, how I put on these pounds? Well, because you've been eating that Chick-fil-A every day. I know it's God's chicken, but it got 758,266 preservatives in it. And it might be God's chicken, but it's the, the devil's meal. Can I say that? That was, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can say that. 
Anyway, the same thing that's applicable for our physical diets is also applicable for our spiritual diets. When you have that hectic pace of life where you're ripping and running all the time, it doesn't leave you a lot of room for spiritual nourishment of prayer and fasting. When, when, when you're on the phone and you're just looking for a little bit of relief from the day and you're scrolling, scrolling, jumping from this app to this app, it does not leave any room to, 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 for you to embrace spiritual matters. And then that, that hectic pace that many of us have leave no room for silence and solitude. Friends, what, what I'm saying is this. Sometimes the blues that we're experiencing is because we're not taking enough time in our schedule to commune with God, and we begin settling for okay things when God wants us to enjoy the great thing that is him. So I know that some of us have the holiday blues, but is it because of the season, or is it because we just don't want God, and this is the only way that he can explain it to us? Does that make sense? Here, verse 5, this is what he says. He says, why my soul... Are you so dejected? Now, I don't know about you, but that is one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. Because I love that he is having a conversation with himself. Some of the most emotionally healthy people I know talk to themselves. He's talking to himself. He's trying to get to the root of the problem. And let me just tell you, you are not crazy by talking to yourself. You are emotionally healthy and emotionally whole because sometimes only you can talk yourself off the emotional ledge. Sometimes only you. He's trying to get to the very bottom of what's happening to him. Here's what I want you to see is that he's regulating his self-speech. He's regulating his self-speech. Here's the, here, here's the problem that some of us run into is that we have such a negative chorus of voices that are reverberating in our minds at all times. We remember what our teacher in second grade said about us. We remember people saying that we wouldn't amount to anything or that we weren't going to be successful. And some of us, like myself, have taken those negative comments and used them for fuel to succeed. Now, I'm not saying that that's healthy. I'm just saying that that's the reality of what's going on. But what, what I'm trying to communicate, friends, is you have to be careful about what you say. That's why I believe in those daily affirmations. I believe in it. I think it's helpful when you get in the middle, mirror and say some nice stuff about yourself. I, I do daily affirmations. I learned them from Dwayne Carter, a.k.a. Little Wayne. And he said one day in one particular song, he said, when I'm in the booth, the lion is loose. I got so many styles, I am a group. Ah, ha, ha. That's what he said at the end of the bar. That's what he said at the end of the bar. And I said to myself, surely, if Wheezy F. Baby, please say the baby, believes that he is a lion, I can look myself in the mirror as a child of God and declare that I'm a lion. So, sometimes I look myself in the mirror, don't, can I, is this a judge-free zone? Huh? I'm not getting a lot of psychological safety in this room. Where are my psychologists at, social workers? Am I safe in this room? Not, you sure? Am I safe? I'm safe to be judged. All right. Sometimes I look myself in the mirror in the morning and I say, Ernest, 
because I say my whole name to myself because I forget. Ernest, you are an apex predator that is able to push through any obstacle that may come in your way today. I tell myself that. Here's the thing. That sounds good, but sometimes when the pain of life runs into you, it don't work. Sometimes when the hardship of the day and the difficulty of the night creep up on you and it feels like it's just compounding pain week after week, day after day, it's just difficult. But what David does in this passage is he invites us to do something different. He says, put your hope in God. You know what he's doing? He's preaching to his soul. Now listen, friends. Oh, you need good preaching. Oh, you need, you need to listen to some sermons. You need to listen to people espouse the word faithfully, exegesis, not eisegesis, which means they take the principles and precepts out of the scripture and they lift it up and they do that in accordance to how the original audience would have understood. Not eisegesis when I come up with my, or what I want to say and then I make the text say what I want to say. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about biblical theological exegesis that's faithful to the text. You need that to help point out your sin and point you to Jesus. But some of us are too reliant on church to do that. And preachers online, the most consistent preacher in in your life should be you. It should be you. You've got to preach to yourself. You just got to say, self, you are worse than you ever imagined, but God is greater than you can even fathom. Though your sin is as dark as night, God has not only removed it as far as the east is from the west self, but he's given you a new name and a new identity and new purpose and new meaning. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he turns it around. David shows us in this passage, he says, self, I know that you don't feel good. I know that your soul is dejected, but he preaches the gospel to himself, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, my sin has been removed from me, and I get the beauty of the Father being, being loving me and considering me. Jesus entered into the blackness of sin so I can walk out into the light of forgiveness. You have to preach that to yourself because you will run into seasons of life that will make you feel less than. You'll run into seasons of life, and I'm finished on this because I'm sweating, Jay. You can come on. You'll run into seasons of life where you feel like you're losing. You don't have anything, but at that point, that's when you remind yourself, like, oh, man, I messed up so bad. I messed up. I'm jacked up. But you got the gospel. Oh, man, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I can come back to God. I got to get my life together. He's not worried about you getting your life together because he's giving you the antidote to fix your broken life before you were even born on this earth. Because while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Ephesians 2, while you were intellectually and behaviorally antithetical to God, he already gave you a solution to deal with your physiological and your sinful issue called the gospel of Jesus. And when he pours that onto your heart, he takes out that dirty nastiness of sin and he gives you a new heart of flesh that's able to receive his blessing and allows you to experience the newness of life. Listen, you can't do no better than Jesus. He's the best gift that you can get in this season. And I just want to encourage you, like, I know that for some of you, this is going to be a mixed bag. Like, I get it. Like, it's going to be a mixed bag for you. You're, you're, you're not going to have the greatest of holiday, right? It may not be the, the greatest ever. You're going to cry some tears. Let me just encourage you. Don't bottle your emotions this season. You've done enough of that. You heard me give this illustration, but I'm going to give it anymore. In my house, we have something called 
a junk drawer. And in that junk drawer is everything. Vaseline, pens, uh, batteries. Well, your batteries are supposed to be in the refrigerator. No? Don't put batteries in the refrigerator? No? Oh. I thought there was somebody studying. Oh, okay, never mind. Batteries in that drawer? But it's just a bunch of stuff in there. And if you're not careful, it's going to continue to get packed up and packed up. And eventually it's going to make a mess and just all over. And the truth is, is that junk drawer is analogous to what's happening in many of our hearts right now. We just got a junk drawer of trauma. A junk drawer of painful past issues. A junk drawer of resentment. Some of us are resentful with friends and spouses right now that we've never communicated to them. Some of us are upset with people that are no longer even with us because of the pain they caused us during the time we were living. Here's the thing. Beautiful thing about Jesus is he don't just straighten out the junk drawer of our souls. He gets rid of all the things that we don't need and puts in the things that we do need. He's like, you need an organizer in here, baby. Let me organize your life by cleaning it up. Let me organize your life by helping you have healthy boundaries so that you don't do things in this season that please people instead of please me. He's like, let, let, me, let me clean up your, your daddy issues so that you can look to me as your sovereign father, not to your dad as the one that harmed you. Let, let me clean those things up. Here's what I'm saying. I pray you have an emotionally healthy holiday this season. But it's not going to happen if you just store away your emotions and you're not honest, ultimately, with the wonderful counselor. That's what he's called. He's called the wonderful counselor. We will tell our friends and our counselors things we wouldn't tell God. But here's what I know about him. He is the one that's ultimately able to heal your soul in a way that you couldn't even imagine. So I don't know where you're at on the religious pendulum right now. Maybe you're deconstructed. I'm glad you're here. That's you. Let's talk afterwards. Maybe you're like agnostic or you're kind of, kind of filling this out. Here's what I encourage you to do. Come to Jesus. Come to him, all you who are burdened, heavy laden, worn out, tired. And he promises to give you this. He promises to give you rest. How we can do that, just fill out that connect card. Give us as much information as you feel comfortable with. On the front of it, just check the box that corresponds with the step that you want to take today. Because some of us need Jesus. Well, we all need Jesus technically, but you know what I'm saying. You need to come to him. Jesus is good. Sin is bad. We'll talk more about it on Christmas Eve. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your kindness towards us, your goodness and your grace given to us in your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that you will bless those under the sound of my voice to experience emotional wholeness in this season, unparalleled joy. Lord, the gift of praise instead of sorrow. Lord, happiness and, and joyful shouts. Lord, I pray for, Lord, that this will be a great holiday for them. But Lord, even if the blues do try to loom over us, Lord, I pray that we will ask ourselves some reflective questions that we would allow somebody to emotionally locate us. Lord, that we would ask and wonder if this was a sign of, you, of our lack of appetite. And ultimately, Lord, are we preaching the gospel to ourselves? And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us. I pray you'll bless us in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, why don't you say amen? Amen. You happy you came to church today? Amen.